Signaling hills and lookouts were of immense importance for Aboriginal groups. They were often pivotal landmarks in the Songlines landscape, major means of communication and education, and tools for coordinated hunting or fishing. Their importance is reflected in some Aboriginal place names, for instance Nildotti in South Australia, which actually meant, Smoke Signal Hill. Signaling Hills. Radars of Resistance. Historically, Aboriginal signaling lookouts are of interest for the role they seem to have played in coordinating resistance activities. Signal hills were reportedly utilized for monitoring and communicating the movement of both enemies and strangers. For example, when an expedition, the Spitfire, was launched up the Birdkin River and to Magnetic Island in 1860, the crew claimed they saw several signal fires about the coast. Italics mine, and as soon as the party reached Magnetic Island, their Aboriginal assistants immediately went off to light signal fires, apparently in response to the ongoing messages. In fact, it was common for explorers to note ongoing communication between signaling hills. For instance, in South Australia in 1840, an exploratory party saw that one smoke had been answered from Gawler Point. Smokes had been observed in the other directions. The fact that such signals could be used for aggressive action is seen in the manner the South Australian Exploratory Party blamed the smoke signalling for a massive regional burnout that they claimed sought to either oust or incinerate their party. Similarly near Bowen in Queensland in 1862, it was said that signal hills were employed to rapidly mobilise hundreds of warriors from other locations. They attacked our little camp twice in one afternoon in two different mobs of about 100 strong each, and, from the signal fires that had sprung up on many hills, we had most unpleasant proof, not only of their capabilities of conceiving, but of executing, a concentrating movement, with most disagreeable rapidity. On the occasion referred to by your correspondent, there were about 300 armed blacks collected within 8 miles italics mine. Signal Hills probably also served as a means of protecting local groups during the frontier wars. When police launched a punitive patrol around the Pine Rivers and Sandgate areas in 1857, the camps are reported to have smoke signaled, up and down the coast, with the results that the police encountered empty encampments on arrival. In my own on-ground investigation of former historic campsites around Brisbane during the last four years, I found that they are often located very near some high point or hill, a headland, knoll etc. From the camp or at least from that nearby hill, another significant high point could be clearly seen, often one I knew lay next to another camp. For example, a hill near the St. Lucia camp looked towards Mount Gravatt Hill which lay beside a series of camps on Logan Road, a hill near the Rockley camp looked towards the Sunnybank camp, Tui Hill, and the beach at the Gateway Bridge camp looks out at Mount Samson. Thus a virtual relay of signals could indeed be possible. The lookout hills were certainly reported as signaling news of the progress of attacks, as this 1861 account of activities in South Australia records. On the evening of the sad event, a large beacon fire and thick smoke were observed on the distant hills. This the troopers understood to be a means by which the natives were telegraphing news of the murder. The signals of the natives were so very singular and marked that they could not fail to attract the notice even of Europeans. 
A large number of the natives stand round the fire with branches in their hand, which they simultaneously place in the flames till ignited, and then raise on high. This is done three times, thick smoke rising on each occasion, and is imitated by the blacks at a distance, and so the news of a victory is sent often 100 miles in a day. The troopers understood the signs well, and came into Lieutenant Cave holding up their hands and saying, All white fellow killed. Italics mine. Cultural misunderstanding. Non-militant options for signaling hills, lookouts. Of course, it was quite possible that explorers and early settlers thought smoke signaling was aimed against them when it was merely communicating, regular business. Certainly some of the burnouts, interpreted as aggressive actions may simply have been coordinated seasonal burn-offs which explorers were unlucky enough to be caught up within. Early accounts describe Aboriginal smoke signalling being mostly used to convey, well-understood messages of welcome or warning, of invitation or defiance, of mourning or rejoicing. Spread with amazing speed. It provided the best means for groups to, quickly communicate with one another over wild and rugged country. Eli Rise summarizes these uses as follows. Invitation to fish or hunt. Warnings. Major well has dried up. Neighboring tribes are on the war path. Strangers present within hunting grounds. We know from Thomas Wellesby, an early settler familiar with the peoples all over Morden Bay, that the use of signaling hills for hunting and fishing extended to informing and perhaps coordinating large-scale fishing drives. On the conical pern, pern pa, meaning little hill, dot the aboriginal fishermen of the bay would sit, on its summit, and use fire or smoke as a signal to their comrades in the distance that fish were at certain places about. From its top could also be seen all the fringed foreshore of the island towards Dunwich, and, at low water, the banks along and upon which the traveller walked or rode on his journeyings to and from Amity. Smoke signals from lookouts were regularly used to summon groups over vast distances, for instance, to the Bunya Festival. On the Bunya Mountains the signaling fires were generally lookouts, and the traditional owners of that region acknowledge that many of the Bunya Mountains lookouts and tracks to them served this purpose in pre-settlement and early settlement times. Mrs. Benny, an early resident of the area, surmises that by this means, groups from even hundreds of kilometers away would turn up, almost simultaneously, at assigned spots. Harmless or malicious messaging Despite such harmless agendas, it is easy to see how the same signals could be employed if necessary to amass hundreds of warriors from several groups at fairly short notice. Many attacks on stations were described as involving 200 to 700 warriors, figures that seem inexplicable given the size of most local groups a clan estate was usually 40 to 80 persons, but which were traditionally common for inter-tribal, tournaments. The latter were indeed organized through smoke signaling. An old chief said there would be a fight the next day. He saw two spiral smokes, produced by turning skins round in a peculiar manner. The next morning there were from 700 to 800 armed natives assembled near them who had come up in canoes. Moreover, we should not assume that European settlers were necessarily ignorant of the diverse meanings of smoke signals and could not discern whether the intention was friendly or hostile. During the early colonial period, it seems that many Europeans, both squatters and persons within the border police, grew accustomed to smoke signal language. 
The graphic incident is given by Tooth, a wide bay settler, concerning the 1860s. He sent one of his Aboriginal assistants up a tree, evidently in an elevated spot. We sent Sambo up a tall gum tree, to look out, he was soon down again and reported. Mine Milmul 3, fella smoke close tip, like it more further station, one fella cob lion two fella narang i.e. smoke like it salt water. Interpreted this meant, he had seen three columns of smoke just the other side of the station, and one big column and two smaller ones near the sea. My brother at once exclaimed, so there's a traitor in camp, and he has signaled that the three of us have started out, but what does one big and two small smokes mean? That is a fresh signal. Although both of us were well up in, smoke language, or, signaling, neither knew what that meant, italics mine. Another account worth considering on this issue comes through William Clark's interview in 1912 with LTNT Fred Walker, the first commandant of the native police force. William Clark, as an early settler of the Dawson River region, personally experienced the frontier wars. The following information he gleaned from interviewing LTNT Walker. Walker was adamant that smoke signaling was indeed used to organize attacks and avoid his native police. He alleged that his troopers understood a lot of the language of smoke signaling and that this allowed his forces to be more effective than white vigilantes. The smoke signaling was used by blacks when traveling to communicate with their detached mobs. The yabba or talk that was going on between them often disclosed the locality of meeting places. Could smoke signals coordinate attacks? Examining the technology of smoke signaling. According to Guyabau, Willie Mackenzie, a Kilcoy Aboriginal, signaling hills could be usually identified by their bonfire pits, which had a circle of stones about four feet wide and four feet high, and it seems that there were signaling specialists, who Guyabua says were borer counselors. This suggests that the system had rather formalized signaling points and required some in-depth knowledge. In 1893, Mr. A. T. McGarry presented a paper to the Royal Geographical Society in Adelaide that still remains one of the keystones of our knowledge on Aboriginal smoke signaling. He argued that smoke signaling was an extremely sophisticated mode of communication. As he himself noted, it relied heavily on variations of smoke color, the width of columns and the effects that could be achieved such as puffs, balloons and parallels. McGarry argued that the system was almost as detailed as telegraphy. His audience was skeptical, so he had a New South Wales Aboriginal, Mark Wilson, speak on the topic as well. Those trained in the work could play on a fire just as a man would manipulate a keyed musical instrument. Mr. Mark Wilson, an Aboriginal native from Point Maclay, gave some interesting information as to the smoke signals of the Lakes and Murray River tribes. For instance, if a corroboree was to be held for which the river tribes were coming down south a fire, sending up a dark column of smoke would be lighted at Manuth as a signal to the tribe at Point Maclay. The Maclay tribe would signal to the other lake tribes and all would assemble at Wellington, where the gathering would be held. He then described the signals for war, death and losses in the bush, and also how fires were built for night signals, and how puff smoke balls were made. These latter were caused by holding the smoke under a skin or board and then suddenly releasing it, when it would shoot up in the form of a puff. Ellipsis. There were also straight smoke signals, smoke balls, and flashlights made from the inner bark of certain trees. 
William Clark's interview with LTNT. Walker Eben describes a specialized, chimney, built to better shape the smoke from signaling fires. They first took the bark from saplings in tubular shape. On the summit of some high hill or range they made a smoke fire, and placed a cylinder of bark over the smoke. They lengthened the improvised chimney stack by placing additional lengths of bark within each other. This bark funnel was secured perpendicularly against some high tree by native cord made of fibrous bark called buguru. I have often seen these signals on some distant range, the compressed smoke, shooting up to great attitude in spiral columns, and visible for long distances. Intelligence, internal and external messaging. Military intelligence requires a level of secrecy to be effective, which is why codes have often been developed for warfare. It is worth noting that the meaning of Aboriginal smoke messages varied from region to region. There was a code for insiders, moving parties within a single tribe, and another for communicating with outside groups. Every tribe had its own particular code which was used for short distance signals. But, there was an inter-tribal code understood by all the tribes for long-distance signals. Moreover, it was possible to alert only some groups to a message and deny others, by using this, insider language, and pre-warning the intended party. The attention of the other tribe or tribes would be drawn to the fact that it was desired to send some signals, by lighting a signal fire below the top of a hill in the direction of the tribe, as to whom the signal was to be sent. Its light would be prevented from being seen in any other than the desired direction by shields of large pieces of bark. Such fires could be seen for a distance of 25 miles or more italics mine. The language of smoke signals, sufficient for coordination. Such checks and balances aside, is it possible for smoke signaling to convey enough data to be used in inter-tribal strategies against settlers? As the meaning of signals varied from place to place, this is difficult to establish, but from the brief survey of literature attempted above, it is possible to reconstruct the following, general, signals, which would all have certainly been useful in decision-making when dealing with the influx of settlers. Slender column, pale smoke equals distress, sickness or accident, one fellow sit down ill. Heavy column, white smoke, short distance, equals, a friendly tribe is coming to Yabba. Heavy column, white smoke, long distance, from grass piled up, equals someone has died, this fire must be created by facing away from the beacon, using a trail of dry grass as a wick. Slender column, dark smoke equals invitation to a conference concerning tribal grievance or threat of war. Dense smoke, rising 1-500-2,000 feet, large quantity of fuel, overlaid with green bushes, equals strangers have crossed from the territory of the signalers to that of their neighbors. Row of several columns, even distance apart equals corroboree invitation. Two columns ascending continuously, unbroken for one plus minute, equals danger. Straight column without succeeding cloud equals enemy, stranger coming. Column broken regular intervals equals friends coming. Single column, then pause, then single puff cloud, equals invitation to join hunt 40 trillion 5 billion 44 million 132,500. Figure 1, camel train with aboriginal signal for, strangers have crossed into neighbors territory. See text Neoluru, NTC.1940, Trove, National Library of Australia. 
we know further that it was even possible to convey numbers through series of puffs. Belches of smoke, or a series of small clouds, signifying numbers, are sent up by covering the fire with a skin or sheet or soft bark held by two persons, or by a thick bush when there is only one operator, and uncovered smartly. Spiral columns are made by gently whirling a skin or sheet of bark around the ascending column. Coordinated attacks and the second-range crossing outlook. The particular historic use of the registered outlook near Toowoomba is not known, but the coordinated resistance activities of the mountain tribes, Darling Downs, Lockyer Valley, Cunningham's Gap and other areas, during the 1840s and 1850s under the leadership of Old Moppy, Multugara and others are mentioned in several early accounts. In 1843, close to Toowoomba, early settler John Campbell and his party fought off a raiding party along the road up Gorman's Gap to the main range. He noted that the attack was being organized through signaling hills on the main range very close to the lookout. He recalled that, all this time we could hear their signals passing alongside the Sugar Loaf Mountain Mount Davidson, to the Red Hill, some two miles ahead of us. 